Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. We are closing out our series on ordinary faith. We're going to read from Mark 10, uh, starting in verse 46 to the end of the chapter. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. It is up on the screen, and I'll go ahead and read. They, then they came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd. A blind beggar, beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. And so they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up. He is calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, I pray that tonight our ears and our hearts will be receptive to your word, Father. May you speak to us. Use my words, Father, with power. I pray in your name. Amen. Like I said, tonight is our final night of the, of the summer series on what we've been looking at, titled Ordinary Faith, on the true nature of, and of the true nature of living faith, and really what a faithful life looks like day in, day out, ordin- in ordinary ways. Faith, or we would say having faith, is a term uh, and a phrase that get thrown around a lot, and maybe because of the familiarity of the term, Uh, we might lose some sense of its reality, of its power within our lives. Our passage gives us an example. It gives us a roadmap. It serves as a guide to us so that we know what faith should and ought to look like in our own life. The example of Bartimaeus should invoke in each one of us a desire to live by faith ourselves. Jumping right into the story of Bartimaeus, we learn that Jesus and his disciples, along with a large crowd of people are making their way to Jerusalem where Christ will soon be put to death. On their way to Jerusalem, they stop at Jericho, and this is where our passage begins. We learn that Bartimaeus was a blind beggar who at the time when Jesus walks by was sitting on the side of the road begging. Bartimaeus, the example of a faithful life, is a blind beggar. Presumably from birth, this man has relied on others for his livelihood. Imagine the plight of this man's life. Imagine how difficult it must have been to be not being able to see and not being able to do much else. He had to sit on the side of a a dusty, dirty road each and every day just to fulfill basic needs of life. He had the scorn of society on his shoulders. He knew he was a burden to others. No one likes beggars. If we're being honest ourselves, we are made incredibly uncomfortable when we pull up to someone on the side of the road seeking 
this sort of assistance. This is the type of life, this is the type of person that Bartimaeus was, and this is who God has chosen in his scripture to tell this story for our benefit and encouragement in the faith. And maybe just as a side note here, I, I want to say that we should be careful to note that God uses these types of people in his word for our instruction. You know, the same kind of people that we often don't even want to look at, God uses to teach us. The Bible is full of commands that we love the poor and that we care for the needy. And too often, we think that these kind of people aren't good enough for our money, our time, even our eye contact. And so we have to remember, if God has a special care for these types of people, if God uses them to instruct us, we ought to love them ourselves. And this is Bartimaeus. This is the man who Christ commends for his faith. And his faith was driven by his great need and by his belief that God could save him. Because of his blindness, he had an acute realization of the helplessness of his life. He was broken. He had lost all hope in himself. He had spent his entire life relying on others. He knew he couldn't do certain things. And now he hears that the Messiah is walking by. And what does he do? Well, he yells out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, what response does he get initially? Ah, eh, be quiet. Right? He's offended the sensibilities of everyone who's around to witness this. This is a little too unruly and out of line for them. And yet, what does he do? He keeps yelling. You know, if you've ever been with someone in public who's a little socially unaware, right, you might understand the story. Or they're doing something uh, embarrassing, yelling, whatever, and you're thinking, oh, this is embarrassing. What do you, be quiet, right? If you can't think of anyone, don't worry. That's because people are thinking about you. But, um, you know, we've probably experienced this, and we don't, you know, we don't like it, right? And this is what this Bartimaeus is making everyone around him feel. You know, Jesus is walking by, he's on the side of the road, he's a beggar, he's the lowlife, and now he's yelling out to Jesus as he's walking by, and people don't like it. Notice how um, Christ responds. It seems like he ignores him. Now, we'll come to ba back to this in a little while, but Christ, who knows everyone's thoughts and everyone's intentions, Certainly heard Bartimaeus the first time, right? But he chooses not to answer him. And so Bartimaeus receives the scorn of those around him. And he doesn't get a response from Christ the first time. And so he keeps yelling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This time, Christ answers. And suddenly the demeanor of the crowd shifts. This is our story. This is, this is faith. This is what Christ commends. This exchange is how we ourselves are to approach Christ. Like Bartimaeus, we must persistently cry out to Christ, expecting that he'll, hear, that he'll hear and that he'll answer. This is how we have to live if we are going to live by faith. Christ commends Bartimaeus for his persistence. He calls it faith. And because of his faith, Christ heals him. Christ gives the man both physical and spiritual sight. So what, you know, if we're to emulate Bartimaeus, we have to think about what drove him to live this way. What drove him to respond to Jesus as he walked by? Why was he so persistent in his pursuit of Christ? Well, there's a few things. One, he had an understanding of his need. He was a blind man. Like I said, he spent his whole life presumably sitting, begging. 
right? He knew he was a burden to others. Also, he was utterly convinced that Christ could fulfill his need. He knew that Christ was all he needed. And because of these realities, this is why he acted in faith. This was his faith, and this is what Jesus rewards him for. And so if we're to emulate Bartimaeus, if we are to strive to live by faith, we must also understand our need for Christ. We must also understand and be convinced that Christ is the only one who can fill our needs. However, if we only have a sense of our needs, but we're not convinced that Christ is the only answer for those needs, we won't go to God for help. Instead, we'll tend to wallow in self-pity, lamenting our life. And on the other hand, we will not be convinced of our need for God unless we can truly look at our life and see our need. If we have an understanding of our lacking, the ways we are lacking. Pride causes us to admit that we don't have needs, to not admit our needs. Pride keeps us from running to God in faith like we should. We often love to think of ourselves as being better off than we really are. Think about how many uh, user manuals, installation instructions you've thrown into the trash only to (laughs) retrieve them a little while longer because nothing's going right. Or, you know, especially the guys here, you know, we hate advice. I mean, we're so offended if we're in Home Depot and the employee comes up and says, hey, do you need help? Do I look like I need help? You know, I just, I try to walk around them until I'm really desperate, or my wife's with me, then she'll ask. <laughs> so, you know, this is everyone, though. We, we don't like to admit weakness. We don't like to rely on help, on others for help. And we have to recognize that this sort of pride, when present in this area and all areas of our life, will hinder our faith, will hinder our drive to go to God. It will cause us to believe that we are in control of the direction of our life. You know, think about even a task as mundane as driving a car. You know, if you've ever been, Nathan brought this up today, if you've ever been in a close call, you think, whew, wow, God protected me, right? But how many of those close calls have you had that you're totally unaware of, right? Some of you maybe more than others. Um, the, the reality is, you know, there's these kind of near misses all the time, and yet when we drive, we, for the most part, get in and we go, And in reality, though, we truly are driving at the mercy of God. Isaac McClavick popped in my head when I was thinking about this. I don't know if you still do this, Isaac, but when you started driving, I remember I was telling my wife about this, you would, before you go anywhere, you pray. You still do that? Praise God. Isaac prays anytime he drives somewhere, asking that God will keep him safe. And I kind of laughed at him the first time, but I commend you for it. I probably won't ever ask you to be an amazing race driver, but... It's honorable. <laughs> Your team will not like you. We, we buy into this illusion of control, right? Not just with driving, but in many areas. You know, one of the big areas could be finances, our finances. Think about the way that money can create an illusion of control in our life. It's very easy to come to believe that our ability to make and save money will give us uh, true security, And that the more money that we have, the better we may be off. Another area could be with our children, right? If we carefully, we think if we carefully monitor each and every facet of their lives, we give them this and we give not, don't give them that. We discipline them this way and not in that way. We send them this school and not that one. And then bam, we've got perfect kids. We can think this way. It can be really easy to believe that we can control 
these areas of our lives, that we are autonomous. And there's numerous ways that we seek to rely on our decision-making, on our wisdom, our careful, calculated foresight, to the point where we less and less rely solely on the Lord for direction. Again, I'm not saying that we are autonomous robots with no consequences for any of our decisions, but what is true and what God, that God is completely sovereign over our lives. And we do not have the kind of control that we often think and live like we do. And so the more that we recognize this reality, the less we concern ourselves with making every little thing go perfectly right, the more we're able to live by faith. We need to see our needs accurately. We need to understand how we rely on God. Bartimaeus saw his need. He knew he couldn't rely on his own strength. He had tried his whole life. He had to rely on others. And at the end of the day, we pity the man who doesn't have a need, who doesn't see his needs. And as I said earlier, though, it's not enough that we just see our needs. It wasn't enough that Bartimaeus knew he was a beggar. Certainly, there were many other beggars present at this story and even throughout the life of Christ, many others in this exact same position, and yet Bartimaeus is the one who's recorded in Scripture. His story comes to us as an example of faith. There are many people who have needs, and they know it. They're convinced of it. They know it so well that they tell everyone they meet. We call these people needy people. Now, of course, we all have a great need. We, we all have things that we, we need from God, that we need from each other. However, the man or woman of faith does not go around parading their needs, desperately wanting others to take notice. Again, it's fine to have needs. We all do. However, if we're not going first and foremost to the Lord, to God with our needs, we are not living by faith. So Bartimaeus not only knew his needs, but he was convinced that Christ was the one, was the only one who could truly fulfill what he needed. The type of fulfilling that was truly satisfying and eternal, that was life-giving. He looked to Christ alone. Nothing was going to stop him from receiving Christ's blessing Both the person who is proud, like we said, and won't admit their needs, and the person who always tells themselves and everyone else about their needs are really dealing with the same problem and dealing with their needs in the same way, although they look differently. Both types of people rely on themselves. Rather than relying on the mercy of God, they look to themselves. They look and seek out their own methods, their own approaches to life that at the end of the day does not consider that they need to go to God that he needs to be the one they seek. So whichever person you may be more prone to be, understand that both are a rejection of trusting only on the name of Jesus. Both errors must be repented of if we are to live radical lives. When we have a right understanding of Christ and we fully trust in him to supply us with everything we need, our faith will be great. We will be like Bartimaeus in this way. And notice too, that Bartimaeus had this great need, he had an even greater trust in Jesus, and he cried out, but then what? Well, he acted, right? Not only did he act, but like Jacob, he wrestled with God. He wasn't going to let go until he received what he wanted, God's blessing on his life. And again, even though everyone was looking around him with scorn, he continued to yell out that Christ would be merciful to him. Even though the first time he yells out, Christ doesn't respond, 
he still keeps crying out to Jesus. Christ knew his need. Christ knew that he was calling out to him. And yet, he tests Bartimaeus. He doesn't answer him right away. He tests him so that his faith would be displayed for us, so that his faith would be strengthened. Now, how many of us, if we were in Bartimaeus' shoes, would have stopped crying out the first time? Right? We glance over the fact that Christ delays here, but yet in our own life, how difficult is it for us to continue praying to God when we truly feel like he's ignored us? And yet Christ delays here. He does so so that the faith of Bartimaeus would be all the greater. This is the way we see God routinely work all throughout Scripture. And imagine for a minute if Christ did give us everything we wanted, everything we asked for right away the way we asked for it. You know, imagine a child that you know or have maybe witnessed that gets everything they want from their parents without any delay. Everything they ask for, they get. Maybe you've witnessed someone like this before. In my experience, these children tend to be demanding snobs with little gratitude or patience. Christ develops our faith. He develops our character by answering in a way and in a time that he sees best. And that's best for us. Part of our trust in him is trusting in the way that he will answer and knowing that it truly is in our best interest and for our ultimate growth in him. What a comfort it is to know that Christ, and we have plenty of examples in Scripture, delays in his answers to us. What a privilege it is that we have these stories so we can look to and take comfort in our own lives and our faith be built up, knowing that Christ does hear us, but that he is wanting to see us grow and our faith being strengthened. This is the end goal with Christ. Imagine having to wonder whether Christ really cared about you. We have so many examples where we know he does care for us. He promises this, and so we trust in him. And even though we know Christ will hear us, even though we're told this in Scripture and we have these examples, it doesn't mean that it won't seem like a risk in the moment, that the things we ask for God for aren't at times... They seem like a tall order to ask. Now, it's never a risk to throw ourselves at the mercy of God, to go to him in our most desperate times. Resting and relying on the mercy of God is the safest and surest way we should live. And although that's true, it doesn't mean that in the moment there will be no sense of risk. Think about, again, the risk of what Bartimaeus did here. He risked embarrassing himself. He with each time he yelled out, he risked receiving the scorn of others, and he did. He risked upsetting the local authorities by making a scene. And the biggest ri seeming risk of all was that Christ might not answer him. At the end of it, the thing that most keeps us from living by faith, like Bartimaeus, is that we fear that Christ won't answer, that he may ignore, that we will not be given what we ask for that he will continue to walk on down the road, leaving us to ourselves. The reality is Christ desires that all men be saved. He longs that we ask. He tells us to ask for things. He will supply us with every good thing. And so those who live by faith, they understand this. They understand who Christ is and what he has promised, and they act. Bartimaeus acted. 
That was faith. You and I must act in faith. We must throw ourselves at the mercy of God. Like Bartimaeus, we must cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. We cry out. We plead with God. We wrestle with Him, refusing to let go. And then we respond. We act in faith. Those who are convinced that Christ will supply them with everything they need, act. And this is true of faith. This is not a mental, heady sort of trust in God, and that's how we think of faith, but it's a real life-changing approach to Jesus. Notice the way that Bartimaeus responds to the call of Christ. We are told in our passage that after the second crying out to the Lord, Jesus says, call him here. And so they get his attention to come to Christ, and we're told in our passage that he throws aside his cloak and he jumps up. Throws aside his cloak and jumps up. This is an important response that we take note of. Bartimaeus responds to Christ with exuberance. He responds with haste. Do you respond to Christ this way when he calls? Maybe you're not waiting for an answer from God. Maybe instead you're waiting for an answer that you like or that you expected. How many times have we received an answer from God, but then we pause and we wonder, huh, do I really want that? Can I really live that way? Maybe you've asked and you've prayed that God would grow you in in obedience to his word and love for his word, and then you come across a passage, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor. And we say, huh, don't know if I want to grow in that obedience. Right? Or we read, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. And then we say, well, I need my GPS for navigation. I I have to check my work emails. Or if you do not forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. When Christ answers us, are are we willing to listen? When he speaks to us, when the reality hits, when the obedience the way the call to obedience is clear, how do you and I respond? Are we willing to jump at the command and the call of Christ? Faith requires obedience. Obedience and faith walk step in step with one another. If we are living by faith, not only do we see our need for God and cry out to Him, but we respond when He calls. We respond to the proddings that His Word gives. We listen to those God has ordained as authorities over us. If we don't obey, we do not believe that Christ is our all in all. And we think we've found something else. We are resting on ourselves. That's not how Bartimaeus responds. He jumps and he says to Christ, Rabbi, which is my master, Rabbi, my master, I want to regain my sight. Read this. This title he gives, he calls Jesus my master. This is Bartimaeus saying, I am 100% sold out for you, Christ. You are my Lord. I give my life to you. And we read on, even before Christ heals him physically, he's already calling him master. And we see immediately following this healing, he follows him. He regains his sight and he begins to follow him on the road. We don't know what happens to him, but I'd like to think this man went on to be a critical part in the kingdom of God. His life is now Christ. And so in closing, I want to encourage you to emulate this great faith of Bartimaeus. Start with obtaining 
again, a better need for, and a better understanding of your need for Christ. And this always happens when we kill, we need to kill our pride and stop pursuing various illusions of control that we have about our life. Take a risk for God. Very often, God uses big things in our lives, big risks, to shake our trust in Him and cause us to more fully rely on Him. It's like when we have that close call when we're driving. It helps us to hopefully drive more cautiously, put the seatbelt on, and to think, whew, God is protecting me. Short example from my life. So when Mackenzie and I, we first got married, um, I, was, I still had two years of college. Uh, she was graduated, just started working here at the church. We got married, and growing up, especially for me, I, I knew children were a blessing, right? And so we came into marriage, both wanting children and both wanting children right away. And we both had a, a pretty good understanding of what God's Word said about children and the blessing, and also about God's promises to provide. All of that was great, and we knew it. And we had some conversations with other family members, and they were kind of not wanting us to go this route, and they were saying, hey, have you thought about this and, and that? And at the time, I was working, and in school, I was probably making 12 grand a year working, and I married the breadwinner. Um, Mackenzie, we thought, you know, she, she was working, but with the baby, she would have to stop, and we'd be on my income alone. And, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, um, and, you know, in my mind, growing up, you imagine, you know, doing big things for God. At least I did. And I thought, yeah, God will provide. And you say, I'm on the rock of Christ. You know, it's, yeah. Well, I found out you get into these moments when the risk is on your shoulders, when you're the one bearing this burden, and you're the one crying to Christ. It came out more like a, you know, high squeak, like, yeah, Christ will provide, kind of thing. And, I mean, I'll tell you, it was, it was it was tough. I had, I had no idea. You know, so I was trying to lead Mackenzie and, and comfort her, trying to reassure some of her family members. But at the end of the day, I said, you know, I don't know how God will provide for this. I don't know. Yeah, I know diapers cost this and that cost that and you won't work. Okay. But God says he closed the, closed the lilies of the field, right? He feeds the ravens of the air. God provides for his children. God calls us to be fruitful. You put these things together, and, we, and so we did it. And I, I bring all this to say um, it's harder when you endure it, and I'm glad we did, though. I'm glad that Mackenzie and I, and by God's goodness, we stepped out, and we had uh, Vivian when I still had a few years left in school and not making much, and boy, I'll tell you, God provided. I mean, we're still here. <laughs> we still have our kids, right? God provided. And if we hadn't done that, hadn't taken that risk, if we had sort of backed away and said, okay, yeah, this isn't prudent, this isn't wise, we never would have had that experience. We never would have had that time where we had to build our trust and our reliance on the Lord, and because we literally did. I mean, there were times where, you know, I don't know how we're going to pay for this next thing. And I'm telling you, a check would show up in the mailbox from who knows what. Yeah, you know, I just, it was random thing after random thing after random thing. And I look back and think, wow, God is great. And so I hope all of you have an experience like that in your life. I hope, you know, older and younger, I hope you're willing to take these kind of risks where you know that some things are unclear going into it, but yet you know what God promises 
and you know that he'll provide. But it is hard, but it's one of the ways that, we can, that God uses to grow and stretch us. Again, faith isn't just the thought that God will provide. It's not just an understanding of the biblical principles. It's also the actions of your life that accompany the trust in his promises. There has to be a real action to it. So I, to close out here, I'd encourage you, do something that's difficult for, for you to do for God, for his kingdom. Step out in faith. Live your life on the promises of God. Throw yourself at the mercy of God. And even if you can't see clearly, do it. Trust God. He is faithful to provide. God is faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Bartimaeus. We thank you that his story is recorded for us so that we may learn and grow from it, Father. I pray that we'll emulate him in this manner. Father, may we throw ourselves to you. May we cry out to you with no regard to what those around us think, Father, but only fixing our eyes on you, Father, who is our help and our all in all. We pray in your name. Amen.